Okay, there you go. That's what I was looking for. Welcome to Trivial Debates. Are we starting yet? Welcome to Trivial Debates. I'm your host, Jeff Mader. We have a great show for you today here, February 28, 2021. Uh, we are breaking down all the arbitrary arguments of different categories, movies, TV, sports, music, history, wildcard things. We got it all here on Trivial Debates, but we also have three wonderful um, uh, contestants today. We have our uh, first-time trivial debater, Jessica Chan. We'll bring her on in. Hi, Hi. Jessica. She's, she's from our Star Trek Radio Theater clan. Uh, we also have uh, a, a former champion here, Jamil Robinson. Is he, bring is on, he him on in with a nice little bow and a nice, a nice little salute to the host that knows the most. Um, okay. Uh, and we also have, I think he's a former champion. I'm not sure. Nobody really knows. Chris Seymour, we'll bring him on in. Whoa! <laughs> yes, yes, I, I was a champion once. Oh, you were? Oh, okay. I, I don't know if I've ever been on a show where you were the champion. <laughs> that fact will remain the same. <laughs> that might change today, though. Uh, okay, so uh, we also have a producer behind the scenes. We have Dave Mater. Uh, say hello, hello, Dave. Hello, I'm here. He's here. Okay, he's breaking down things. He's putting graphics up. He's, you know, he, he's here as a second silver thought if he's needed. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we're just going to break down into how this works. Uh, basically, we, you know, I ask a question. The three contestants come back with some sort of saucy answer, and then I say, okay, well, then argue for your saucy answer, and and then they come back and I, I you know, they argue, and then I either say, yeah, that was pretty good, or you know, come back next time, try try again. And I pick one person's answer to move on to win the point for the round. We have six rounds here. So without further ado, we'll start with our first round, movies. And the question okay. is, what movie won best picture that did not deserve to? And if possible, please pick the movie that should have won instead of the movie that did win. Uh, since we're, we'll start with Jessica Chan, since she's the first one on the left. But we will rotate as a snake. <laughs> going forward. Uh, how much time does she have, Dave? She gets 90 seconds, but she doesn't have to use all of it if she doesn't need it. So That's right. you uh, can say, hey, I'm tapping out. All right. I've so made my point. When, you're, when you start talking, Jessica, your time will start. Okay, so this is the answer. This is the, the, the question that I had an immediate answer to, which is 2006 film Crash by Paul Haggis, right. written and directed by him. It's supposed to be a modern... In, look into race relations in LA. It is just terrible. It's a terrible film. It's like uh, follows different people throughout the city of LA as their lives intermix. It's like a really terrible racial version of love actually. It, it doesn't really do anything in terms of exploring race except there's just people throwing racial slurs at one another here and there and kind of makes it seem like racism is something that everyone shares, kind of like like the uh, Avenue Q's, everyone's a little bit racist, but like not funny right. or good at all. <laughs> and uh, uh, the scene that really stands out for me, I don't remember this movie. I don't even know why I watched it mm -hmm. like 15 years ago. But so earlier on in the movie, Tandy Newton's character, 
is in the car with her husband yeah. and they get pulled over by two white cops one of them is a douchebag played by matt dillon and he like molests her in front of her husband and then lets her go off with a warning whatever it's a horrible scene and then later on in the film she gets into a car crash and then he pulls her out of the car before it explodes and they share this like meaningful look like oh look isn't that great like racism solved no it's just it's terrible he's a bad cop uh, like that doesn't say anything about anything it's this is the level of nuance this film has about race it's it's just garbage it's a garbage film Okay, Jessica, uh, your time is up, but I just want to go through the other four movies that were nominated that year for Best Picture, and I would like to know which movie you think deserved to win. So Brokeback Mountain was, was nominated, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Munich. It's, it's got to be Brokeback Mountain. It's got to be Brokeback And in fact, okay. they re-voted on this in 2015, uh, asked Academy members, and they all voted for Brokeback Mountain. So. Okay, great. Jamil, what you got? What, you coming in with the hot fire? Let's go. I'm hot fire. Uh, the movie I have chosen, um, or sorry, I didn't cho choose it. It chose me because it stood out among all the rest, and that is Million Dollar Baby. Million Dollar Baby is a mediocre, um, rocky film that has a twist in the um, the latter part of the story um, that is there to fuel the director's agenda against an organization. Um, the movie doesn't really stand on in terms of performances, writing, or even directing. It is one that is, uh, its merits are based upon its uh, strong marketing push, its um, generic attitude to, pa um, or uh, connections to past films. And um, it doesn't really do anything that stands out particularly well. Um, so, uh, when it is time to argue, I will lay down the facts, not opinions, right? There's a difference between facts and opinions. An opinion is a movie is bad, right? Uh, opinion is a movie is bad, but facts are this is the reason why this film does not deserve the recognition that it currently has. Okay, and okay, so in that year, which was the year before Crash, 2005, guys. Um, so not a good time for movies. Uh, Million Dollar Baby beat four other movies because back then we only have five movies nominated. Uh, the Aviator was nominated, Finding Neverland, Ray, and Sideways. So two of the movies that should have won um, were not even nominated for Best Picture, and they were Eternal Spot, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, yep. and Closer, and Closer, which all you know if it had been a like you know like a 10 nominee best picture like it is today or like sometimes they do seven or eight now uh it, those movies would have been there um million dollar baby won also best directing best lead actor best supporting best actor supporting. you know it won a lot so uh, uh, and it was like the, i agree with you it's not a very rewatchable movie uh okay chris what did you pick yeah. okay so for my pick uh we're gonna go back to 1999 and go for Shakespeare in Love. Um, personally, I didn't I didn't enjoy this movie. Um, it's a romance movie. It it um, it's loosely baked based on Shakespeare. I mean, it's not it's not based on on real facts. Um, this movie was uh, completely fictional. I, I don't know why uh, they decided to to make it on on a real person. I, I guess because the basis of the story was. Shakespeare couldn't write a play because he wasn't in 
he, he, he didn't feel a connection with someone. Then, then he meets a woman uh, and, and falls in love and, and all of a sudden he's able to, to write a great play, which uh, she stars in. She has to dress up as a man because in that time, uh, um, man couldn't, uh, couldn't be on stage, uh, woman, women couldn't be on stage. Um, I, I just wanted to go to the movie that, that uh, before you ask Jeff, because I looked this up ahead of time, um, what should have won that year was a blockbuster of a movie, um, Saving Private Ryan. Everybody knows Saving Private Ryan. We all remember it. It was such an epic war movie. And, and the, the fact that Shakespeare in Love won that year is, is horrible. It's just a debauchery to the system. Okay. Um, I just want to say, nobody gets a better view than me watching Jamil's facial expressions as Chris gives his argument. So what okay so uh, as we did with the other two years okay so 1999 shakespeare in love one this is the first movie and i wish you had said it uh chris that harvey weinstein basically arguments for him this is well, for later jeff okay i'm just saying this is the because i'm just looking uh, like i looked at the other movies who was the main <laughs> producer but i do remember with this movie that harvey weinstein this is the first movie that he made sure won best picture and yeah, so that, that was uh, that was going to be part of my uh, later um argument yes okay so but that year i also would argue that there were movies that were not nominated for best picture that should have been nominated for best picture uh so these are the movies that were nominated elizabeth Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, and The Thin Red Line. First of all, The Thin Red Line should never have been in there. Um, and Elizabeth should never have been in there. The movies that probably should have been there were The Truman Show and American History X. Those movies definitely should have been nominated for Best Picture, but they weren't because they were too controversial. And this is when the Oscars changed to, uh, in, in five years, we get Jamil and Jessica's movies where it's all about racism or it's all about, you know, a female boxer that gets not, you know, it's just like they, they, they really like get, heard the backlash, I think, uh, with those type of things. Uh, and so you guys can argue amongst yourselves now. Uh, why did your movie not deserve to win more than the other ones? Jessica, we'll start with you. Well, I would argue mine is less deserving. Like even so, so Jamil's movie, Million Dollar Baby, is actually written by the same guy who wrote Crash, is Paul Haggis. So mm -hmm. I would argue that mine is even less deserving because he was coasting off his win from Million Dollar Baby. And like at least, okay, at least Million Dollar Baby was a cohesive film. You follow one storyline throughout. This Crash was like you follow multiple characters throughout and he even tried to do the kind of like timeline thing where the events that we're watching are actually not in temporal order. So like the beginning of the film right. is actually the end of the film. But it, it why? Why? There's, He's trying there's, to fiction it. Yeah. yeah, but it's not a story you care about. It's right. It, it, it's it's so bad. It's but, <laughs> but but also, why, like why but is also, Million Dollar like, Baby and Shakespeare in Love like a little bit more deserving than your movie? Shakespeare in Love is a watchable movie. I like it. I mean, I don't think that it being a romance puts any knocks against it. I enjoy romances. And like if to argue that you can't make a movie about a, a, a real person into a fictional universe is arguing against Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, which I do not agree Great with movie. at all. Yeah, exactly. So no, I don't agree with that. And I and they say a, a racial movie written by a white man talking about racism in America who doesn't understand what systemic racism is obviously because the entire plot of the film 
like yeah. they have oh a hispanic person or a per like a middle eastern person is racist towards hispanic people and a black guy is racist against asians it's putting the burden on everybody but that's not what racism is in america there Canadian is one person from yeah. london ontario yeah well yeah great yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. that's what i mean like racism the burden doesn't fall on everyone it it, it, it revolves it, it go, burden falls on people of color so people can be prejudiced if you're a person of color but that's not systemic racism and that's the point that this entire movie the movie just does it misses the point it's it's ridiculous it's a it's really just terrible okay, so go. i know you got hot Regarding, um shakespeare in love um Chris is probably going to be talking about Harvey Weinstein and his strong arming um, voters to vote for um, uh, the movie. Uh, of course. That's, that's been a part of the Oscars since the very beginning, since uh, even before with Dances with Wolves and with uh, uh, Driving Miss Daisy. It has been a part of the Oscars history altogether. So there is a wide variety of films that have had that same similar issue. Dances of Wolves were, were was worthy of winning that year, though. Mm, no, it, wasn't. it was a good film against good films. Don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> right? You, you'll you'll reply in a bit. Okay. So that has <laughs> nothing to do with it. Right. Right. The movie is a pretty good film that got pushed over the top, just like any other uh, film. Um, it's just that Miramax, a smaller company, was able to have that power to get it, right? So yeah. they collectively got that power. So that argument, no, okay? Now, regarding Crash, Crash itself, it is, I think, something that people have as a, uh, the zeitgeist is to be negative towards it, just like Titanic. The movie is an okay film, not a great film. But there are a lot of okay films that have won Oscars. Doesn't necessarily mean that they are not deserving. Okay, um, in terms of its racial uh, deconstruction, I disagree that although at some points of the film it is kind of um, deaf to what is going on, it's still a compelling story that I think people overlook. And even though the characters do bad things, that does not we should not criticize it. Uh, because of uh, that's the story that the director wants to tell, okay? Um, concerning my film, you have Clint Eastwood who purposely, if you haven't seen Million Dollar Baby, uh, the main character becomes a quadriplegic, basically asked to be euthanized without any discussions or any talk of uh, getting counseling or any type of assistance whatsoever. Uh, now, what does that tie in with the director's opinions about things? The director has lobbied against uh, disabil disability organizations because he felt that they're overreaching in terms of their um, uh, their policies because he owns a hotel and he's got dinged a bunch of times because he, was a, um, he hit various violations, right? Uh, this is blatant uh, use of his um, his platform to push an agenda, right? Yeah. That film should not be recognized, should not, does not deserve to win. At the time, I believe Clint Eastwood was mayor of the city of Carmel in California, so he was like holding public office as well, so yeah. Uh, okay, uh, Chris, all right. Okay, finally, I, I, of course I'm going to use the, 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 the words that Harvey Weinstein uh, fully bullied for his movie to win. Uh, he like Jamil. That is the reason that this movie never won. Harvey Einstein Weinstein used his influence over 
the Oscar um, um, people to, to get that movie. Right. You know, this is but Chris. Just to stop you for one sec. This is the first movie he did that with. He he went and did that on other movies too. He did that on other movies, but uh, <laughs> Shakespeare in Love brought brought in two hundred eighty nine million at the box office. Right. Compared to four hundred eighty two million by Saving Private Ryan. Is like, Shakespeare what? the love the lowest grossing Oscar winner um, of all time? Well, you know what? You'd have to you'd have to do numbers no. by years as no. well. It's, it's, a little bit more now. it's probably not. It's probably not. I'm just saying it wasn't the highest grossing film that year. But, uh, and as as for Crash, I think it won. You know what? A lot of it's in bad taste, but it was meant to have some shock value to it. Um, and and that's what drew a lot of people to it. And and that's probably what what made it win. And honestly, a million dollar baby, I've never seen, but it doesn't sound like good. Thank you, thank you for your. Uh, <laughs> it's not the none of these movies uh, I would say are rewatchable movies. As um, to to be like this question, you could have went different ways too. Like we, uh, Jamil made up uh, brought up great different years where he brought up Driving Miss Daisy, Dancing with Wolves. You could have said no, Goodfellas deserved to win that year. Uh, you know, in two good movies, you know, you, we, all of you went to the extreme of the worst movie that won, which is, I get it. I understand why you did that, but I was, I was hoping one person would come out of left field and be like, no, that good movie didn't deserve to win over I this. I disagree movie. because I feel that if you take any of the movies from my year and put them in any other year, they would win. Sideways would win. Best picture. Yeah. Right? yeah. No, that's a good movie. Good right? movie. Sure. Isn't like a grand, amazing film. It's just in comparison, it is like a tier above. Right. Uh, I would say for my my year, Brokeback Mountain was obviously the winner. Should have been the winner. I think at the time, people just weren't ready for a movie about gay cowboys. They're actually shepherds, but whatever. But any of the other films yeah. that year, I mean, Capote. That was an excellent performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, Munich. Good night and good luck. Like those were all good films too. I think. Yep. I mean, Yep. So, and uh, uh, KDCV is bringing up some good points that, yeah, like uh, another year would have been 1994, where you also have Forrest Gump winning over Shawshank Redemption I and Pulp Fiction. So both well, of those movies could have won Best Picture over Forrest Gump. I, would say. I don't hate on Forrest Gump, but I, I do. I, I had no idea it went up against Shawshank, and that is far superior of a movie. I, I still like Forrest Gump. I would watch Forrest Gump. I, I disagree. I think it's um it's a Sophie's Choice. All three of those films are great. Yeah. Um, they yeah. should have had a three-way tie. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah three-way tie for sure. Uh, okay, so uh, I think as everyone kind of made their points, I think we're kind of good here. Mm -hmm. uh, I just forget, Jubil, what movie did you say should have won in your year? Closer. So we have uh, Brokeback Mountain, Closer, and Save It by Ryan. Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to make my decision. I think the person that argued the best for their movie and why they really didn't like it was Jessica. So I'm going to give that point over to Jessica for this one. I also think Brokeback Mountain, yeah, probably did deserve to win that year. Uh, the other ones, I think Saving Private Ryan, I could have seen, like I said, American History X winning that year. Um, I also could have seen The Truman Show winning that year. Uh, uh, and a million dollars, that, that year that Jamil picked is such a bad year. Like all the movies that came out for those part that year were just kind of meh. Sideways uh, Aviator. Yeah. Aviator was well, great. I love Aviator. It's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. Spotless. Timber uh, Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. That's a great movie. That yeah. probably should have won, but it wasn't nominated. I've never seen Closer, and I would. I've never seen Closer. No. Watch Closer based on the but play. Chris's year is probably the best year in film. 
uh, uh, not one, ever. Just one the- of them. It's one of them. Uh, uh, just, but just the amount of movies that came out that year uh, yeah. was was insane. Okay, so we'll move over to the TV round. Let's go with a one oh oh lead, but we will see here because I think we're gonna get some uh, curveballs thrown. What TV show had the best final season, start to finish? So, what was like the be- what TV show had a uh, the final season where the first episode was as good as the last episode? Okay, we're gonna start with Jamil this time. I debated a ton of uh, shows uh, to pick for this category, um, but really. It isn't recency bias. I think this season is actually uh, substantially really good, and people sh- need to go back and really uh, take advantage of what was put on film. And that is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., its final season. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, put together a story where they tied every single season that previously occurred and also did a, like a mystery, like a, a tour of each of those seasons. And the high points of each of those seasons were referenced and were involved in the in the um, the plot, um, weaving a wonderful story where you're able to remember what has happened, but still appreciate of how far the characters have come, um, cumulating into a finale that is possibly some of the best Marvel television um, that has been produced. And um, I think the closest that have come close to it is. Uh, what we've recently seen with WandaVision in terms of its ability to uh, uh, bring high concepts, but with um, a lot of emotional stakes. And uh, it's uh, the performances were great. And I think that it did a, a lot of heavy lifting in terms of having a, a series that was interconnected and still able to connect it to uh, the greater Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. Chris, what do you got? <clears throat> so <clears throat> I went with a uh, more obvious choice, I guess. Uh, I'm going to go with the final season of Breaking Bad. Okay. Um, and well, I don't know. Breaking Bad, it's it's fifth and final season was either uh, 16 episodes long or it was or it was eight episodes long, depending on how you look at it, um, because they kind of split that season up. Um, but you know what? The, the character development throughout the whole series was amazing but i think towards the end it, you got to know the characters a little bit more personally you got to you got to understand um guys like walt by that season you could you could actually feel in in his acting by by brian cranston you could actually feel like his his love for his family but you could also feel that his consciousness or his his like uh, yeah, his, his consciousness was was kind of going away. He didn't he didn't care about anyone anymore except for his family and maybe a little bit of Jesse. Um, Jesse was also the same way. Um, you know what? It was just it was one of those shows where you never every episode had a different twist and turn. You never knew what was going to happen next. Uh, so it was every episode was exciting to watch. Um, in the end, um, spoilers here. I, I guess we all know uh, Walt's demise, but it in it, it perfectly uh, set up um, the next show, El Camino. Perfectly set up, so we can find out what happens to Jesse now. Okay, Jessica, what do you got? I was a spoiler. I'd never seen. 
I chose uh, The Good Place, uh, season four, their last season. I This show to me, like from beginning to end, even from season one to season four, was just really great. It, it never lingered too long on any particular storyline or drew something out just to have filler episodes. It was always marching forward, always advancing the plot. You always got to know the characters better. And uh, they kept that up in season four, the last season. Like they stayed with the characters. They still had some growth within the last season. They advanced the plot like very steadily. It moved forward. And uh, when it came to an end, it was just a really satisfying conclusion. Uh, it was a great send off for everybody. I cried. I thought about it for a long time. I rewatched it again. I, it was the most satisfying experience I've had watching a TV show for, for years. Maybe that's because I picked, I don't know, I have bad luck with shows. I, I find to tend to be really disappointed with how they ended usually. Um, but this one, I was just satisfied from season one to season four to the last episode. It, it was great. All the characters were fantastic. The comedy is great. And it had a really good message, I think, about uh, life and why, uh, you know, uh, the how life is short. And that's why it's, it's good because it ends, <laughs> things end, and uh, you should enjoy things while they last. I have heard that The Good Place had a fantastic final season. I've never watched a show. Amanda watches it. Um, I'm, I'm not a. I I know it's really good, but I've never watched it. But uh, I, I I always hear on the radio, oh, the best final season. They always say the fi- the last two seasons of The Good Place, right? The third season too is also really fantastic. They're they're all good. I I enjoyed. There was never like a lull in that show that I didn't enjoy. But it's very hard to discuss because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Right. It's, it's, it's it, really that, good. Hey, that, Chris it. is spoiling Breaking Bad. So yeah. you know, <laughs> I think it's a weird game. Walt's going oh yeah. Down. Please don't please don't spoil Agents <laughs> of Shield for me, Jamil. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> You're cutting the legs from underneath me. I'll do my best. I'll do oh my no! Best. I'm just gonna plug my ears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not gonna rebut any of my. my yeah, I'm just gonna take off okay, my headphones so, now. Um, concerning Breaking Bad, um, yes, it is known for having a really good final season, um, but people more re- refer to it being a really good final season as the latter part of the season. Um, there were a lot of issues in terms of the pacing of the beginning of the season. Um, Grinite State, I believe, is the episode that people have a lot of issues with. Even though there is a lot of plot that is detailed in that episode, um, there are some inconsistencies in how the pacing goes in comparison to the other ones. It seems like a stopgap between other episodes, whereas with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., in the vaguest of terms, is each episode more or less hits um, an area of two um, episodes are dedicated to the season. Um, And with each and every single character, they have their moment to shine so that when they all are uh, together in the finale, you get to see where the, the entire cast was to where they are right now. Um, concerning the good place, good place has a really good um, final season, uh, but uh, there are a lot of issues in terms of some of the episodes prior to the finale, where it seems like they are stretching out time. Um, so, for example, um, I believe it's called the message, where it's the um, episode dealing with um, Shidi's uh, message to. Um, to Eleanor or to himself about Eleanor, the previous episode leading up to that, um, which was the um, the uh, funeral episode, um, seemed especially long in the tooth um, and took the jokes a little bit too far. It was an uneven episode in a season that had um, a very consistent upward trajectory in quality. It just had that misstep just before going up. 
Well, I've I've never seen uh, your guys' show, so I'm. <laughs> <laughs> Which is your fault. Well, I, that, I took okay. the time to do research on shows that I've never seen. I've never seen Breaking Bad, but I was able to speak to it. That's You've okay. never seen it. I've okay. I've only seen up to the first season of Breaking Bad, and well, I got bored, so I decided to move on. Well, I, Breaking I Bad is a lot more exciting, and I just I just wanted to say the final episodes for it, like the the viewership started going up as the final season got into it more and more. Like the last four episodes, it was at like 5.9 million views, then up to 6.4. The final episode had 10.3 million viewers. So what um, you're telling me I, is, I mean, what you're telling is that um, people started to watch more once it started getting better in the latter part of the season. I was going to say, wow. episodes is where uh, the increase in terms of people you know, watching it. I think, I think, I think what happens <laughs> is because this show was, uh, was on AMC, they didn't, they didn't want to wait for the reruns. People were so excited to watch this show the day it came out that they had their themselves glued to the TV. Um, you know what? People were like, they were charging four hundred thousand dollars for for um, a thirty second commercial spot on the on the final episode. So what you told me in previous episodes, they were willing to wait for the reruns, yeah. but the latter four they were they want to see live. Yeah, increasing well, viewership just means people skipped the first part of the season. And they, I mean, arguing numbers, that's like saying the Game of Thrones season finale was good because uh, it had a high viewership. It was garbage. There were <laughs> too many spoilers online for Breaking Bad that you you just couldn't wait. Okay, Chris. Because everyone was so excited. Chris, what was the what was the best episode in the first five episodes of the final season of your show? Like what and you don't have to name like this name of this episode. But like, I, I but you don't remember what you, know, you don't remember like what was good at the beginning of season five of Breaking Bad? The episode where where I guess he breaks down and this is where I think he starts losing consciousness. He doesn't want he doesn't want uh, to get caught by Hank and he goes to the desert and he buries all of his money. I love that episode. I believe that's it, the first episode of season five. Or the or the so, eight. <laughs> um, do you remember the episode where they are robbing the train? Well, I haven't watched this in like seven years now. <laughs> that memorable. I got you. It's so, yeah, so, so memorable. Okay. Uh, um, are I we good here? Yeah, guys? I, I think... can't really argue against Jamila. I haven't watched the last season. I do want to. I don't, I think it's a good show. I just, I stopped when whatever happened to Coulson Prime happened to Coulson Prime. And then I didn't watch after that, but. I, I have not spoiled it. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> you should Thank get the point just for that. I appreciate it. <laughs> I have uh, a, a member conceded. He probably comes back as some sort of a clone or something. Um, uh, okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to give this point to Jamil. Um, <laughs> because he, just, just because his pick was so ballsy and he argued for something that none of you came at him. Really, of like why? Dude, why I, I, was in the I, latter part of Breaking Bad. That's considered the best episode of Breaking Bad. My argument made no sense, dude. <laughs> I have a soft spot for Agents of Shield. People crap on that show. It had a rough start, but I thought it was much better than people give it credit for. So I can't really go at it too hard. I, I think it's a good show. Never go. just get an extra point for arguing against Breaking Bad and the good place. Well, I just I think you get the point also because you had to argue without spoiling it for me, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yes, and nobody came and said Agents of Shield sucked. Like yeah, they could have just flat out said that. No, it's a good it. show. It's a good show. It really, I think people should watch. You don't it have more. to agree, right? You don't have to agree. 
I okay. disagree with what I said about the good place. The good place is great. It's a great final. No, season. but you're right. That episode was a bit of a filler episode. Yeah. You're right. I forgot that that was a bit of a filler episode. Sorry, Jeff. Continue. That's okay. No. Uh, okay. What are we on to now? Music. Uh, music. Yeah. Music. Okay. We're going to the music brand. This is how Chris always wins. So he's got. He's, I'm gonna he's, murder he's, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the pandemic. We're just mad about the Prince thing. Oh yeah. <laughs> if the pandemic ended tomorrow, what would be the best concert to go see in 2021? Uh, and Chris, this is your round, so you get to start first. Well, this is kind of a personal question. I, I think it applies directly to me. And uh, best concert that I would go to see in 2021 is going to be Primus. And there's a specific reason for this. Not just because I, I love the band. I think they're talented. Um, back in... Um, March of 2020, uh, they were actually going to launch a tour. It was going to be Primus, um, a farewell to Kings. Uh, and what this tour was going to be was a, uh, a tribute to, um, to Rush, um, because it was, it was um, shortly after Neil Peart died. Um, Primus and Rush, Les Claypool from Primus and, um, and Getty Lee from Rush were very good friends. Obviously, uh, both bass players, they toured a lot together. Um, and Les Claypool actually got permission uh, to do an entire tour um, based on the, <clears throat> the Rush album, uh, Tribute to Kings. Um, this tour was supposed to be coming around April or March uh, to Toronto um, 2020. Uh, and I'm, I would have bought tickets to that in a, in a heartbeat. I would have gone by myself if no friends wanted to come with me because I'm the only Primus fan. I wouldn't have cared. I'd, I'd have wanted to go see that show that bad just because it's the only time I'm going to see Primus playing from start to finish an entire Rush album. Okay, that's great. And you're right on time. Uh, we move over to Jessica. What would be the best concert to go see in 2021? It's the pandemic <laughs> tomorrow. I made an odd choice. I decided to go with a global perspective rather than a personal one because I thought about what I personally like and it's not probably to everyone's taste. I thought like, you know, I would love to see the Walk Off the Earth Canadian band. They're really good. They always put on a good show. Oh, um, well, if Dave was uh, judging, you would be number one. <laughs> they're excellent. I love them, but I thought, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if anyone would agree with me. So I went with a global perspective, which is BTS. They are like the band of the moment, the K-pop. Everybody loves them. Uh, I feel like this like concert would give you the energy of like Beatles coming to America for their first time. Like these K-pop bands have been in quarantine, going after white supremacist hashtags and ruining Donald Trump alleys for a year. They're they're ready to party. They're ready to go. I think K-pop stars always put on a good show. Uh, they know the you know the value of like putting on a, like a good costumes, good sets, good acts, and I, I think it would be a good show in itself. But I feel like the crowd energy of all of these. K-pop stands, I guess they're called, uh, would be just insane and off the charts. And you'd probably end the concert with some hearing damage and maybe some injuries from being trampled by teenage girls. And what more could you ask for in a concert? Okay. <laughs> Jamil, what more could you ask for in a concert? <laughs> well, um, very interesting thing about my pick. Um, my pick is um, a Rush concert. Uh, Neil Peart <laughs> passed away prior to the pandemic, and there wasn't really an opportunity for Rush to kind of um, pay tribute to the drummer that is so responsible for their sound. Uh, so at the same time, this concert would also be uh, a tribute to him and his life and also uh, to raise money um, towards uh, the brain cancer that Neil was dealing with. Um, obviously, you cannot replace Neil. 
Um, but you would use one of Neil's, um, you know, favorite drummers and a variety of drummers that can fill in for him um, when they're performing. Uh, one of Neil's favorite uh, drummers is um, Terry Obozio, um, who is still active. Uh, so uh, this would be a great one. They can do it in Toronto where uh, they're based off of from. Uh, at this time, the border is open, so all the Rush fans from the U.S. would also be able to move up. You would have um, such famous uh, Rush fans as like Paul Rudd um, to appear again, who um, also appeared in various tours and music videos for Rush as well. Um, and, who would play um, drums? Who would play drums on that tour? I said uh, Terry uh, Basio. Terry Basio. Okay. Terry Basio. Um, and you know what? Let's uh, Primus could open, <laughs> where they can perform some classic Rush uh, things. Um, looks like they're already paying tribute to Rush, uh, so they can um, jump on board. Primus has already decided to do this. Um, they've already they've already got Rush's permission. Uh, I just okay to go against your point, Jamil. I don't want to see Rush without Neil Peart there. Um, I, I understand that there are some drummers that could fill his shoes. They can, they can play as not exactly like him. Like I mean, he was one of the greatest drummers in the world, but they could fill in. But I don't want to see Rush knowing that Neil is not behind the kit. Um, and Jessica, Jessica, in, in your case, BTS, <laughs> I'm seeing screaming girls at a at a concert of of K-pop. BTS. I don't I don't even know these guys. I think I know what you're talking about. How have you not heard of them? They're like a global phenomenon. They took over the Tonight Show for a week. Like, come on. These are... Are they like the Korean kids that, that dance and sing? That's correct. They're a boy band, yes. Some of them rap. Yeah. They don't well, sing. Only one guy or two guys sing. When I go to a concert, I want to I see the performers playing their instruments. I don't want to see some guys I, dancing. Um, and I disagree with your statement. They are using their instruments. They're using their voice. And their bodies that they, they yes. put on a dance performance, and I would argue yeah, that you can't, it's, it's not exciting. What do you mean it's not uh, exciting? It's not dance exciting is exciting, to you, right? And, then, and also concerning of, Rush no, and, and then, not wanting to pay, uh, like you're there to pay tribute to um, to Neil there. So it isn't I, a matter of that you're 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 sad that you don't see him. You are sad, but you're also seeing his his music being performed. I'm seeing his work performed by a completely different band. You're and saying you know that what? and you're I'm arguing for a band that's performing someone else's album. Yes, we don't know what Michael was agreeing to. Only going to happen once. Yeah. 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 one time. He wholeheartedly agrees. That's I've already planned on going to see it. But just to argue. I've already I, made up my mind. I'm going. I'm I would go see the Rush concert and Jessica would go see BTS. So that argument means nothing. Yeah, and I mean... I would just say I was just arguing Jamil's point, but uh, I watched a memorial concert for Walk Off the Earth. They lost their beard guy, and it was beautiful, and it was touching, and it was a great show. So I mean, it, it doesn't lessen anything from a band. A band is more than just one person, and and to put on I a show. There. Yeah. Oh, you were there. Oh, I watched it live. Yeah, we were there. Yeah. yeah. It, it be very moving. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that point in my favor. <laughs> Well, the case of Rush, though, not only did Neil Peart drum for them, he, he wrote all the lyrics. It, it wouldn't feel right if he wasn't. They're not there. making new songs. I do find it forming their previous I, songs. I, I understand that they wouldn't. That's why I would rather see Primus do it. I'd rather see a complete tribute to 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 Rush. So instead of seeing it's the band who actually performed the song. 
see where other Sam band has nothing band. to do with it. It's hardly it's hardly a cover band when they've been friends for years and they they got permission to do it. If a I perform your permission. songs, I am doing a cover. Right? A cover and band, band, band I'm a cover band. What does it say song. about what does it say is about Primus the band? Is going to be performing any of their own songs during this tour? No, and I, I wouldn't cover band. <laughs> cover band. <laughs> what? Right? They might, I don't know. They might surprise me. It's going to be BTS, right? Um, you don't need permission to cover someone else's songs in a concert. You can just do that. But he had respect and actually got the permission. Okay, Chris, yes. Um, concerning BTS, um, yeah. I think that the concert would be something that would still be avoided um, because of the amount of bodies um, being in close proximity. Even though the pandemic is over, people will still be a little bit re reluctant to the bodies clashing that close together. And I don't see how that can work in a BTS concert with screaming girls who will become irrational and out of their mind. They're like, ah, it's over there. I mean, this is a hypothetical where the pandemic is over. So I'm saying I, I ignore all of that because we're just a magical world where it's just disappeared. So, and and I, over, but how society reacts in public is going to take a while to change. Now, right. uh, the question is if the pandemic <laughs> ended tomorrow, so the pandemic has been going on. If everyone got vaccinated tomorrow, what would be the best concert to go see? Yeah, the, the pandemic would be over because uh, Primus would have a, a great, uh, great mosh pit. It would be kind of the same thing as, as the Screaming Girls, except it would be like 40-year-old guys. Thank and, you also for my point. Right, and I, would just, I would just argue against the Rush one because only just from what happened with uh, Tragically Hip, I find with something as emotional as that, as like a final tour, it ends up to be bought up by people who aren't really fans, but they just want to be part of the experience, which is what happened with Tragically Hip. And then, I mean, the energy is not as good because like the people there are just kind of there to be say they're there and they're not really like true fans of the band. They just... just yeah. Despite any issues concerning scalping, which is going to happen also to BTS as well, um, which is going to be a hot ticket as well. Um, uh, these these K-pop fans still had a, a lot of emotionally charged um, thing. No one could deny watching any of those um, those concerts that the people who were there were emotionally um, affected by the performances and the tributes that occurred. Uh, okay, real quick, I want I want you guys all to pick the venue that you would go see this. The, this this band in so Chris, what venue would Primus be playing at where you would go see them? They would be at the Cool House downtown Toronto because I have seen them there over four times already. It's an amazing venue, awesome sound. Um, it, they just they sound amazing there. Jamil, what would be the venue for the Rush? Would it be like Scotia Bank? Ask me last, please. Oh, ask you last. All right, Jessica, where BTS? Where would you go to go see BTS? Is this like local to Toronto? Yeah, you can go wherever. You want to go Madison Square Garden? You can go Madison Square Garden. I don't. Care. Yeah, that that sounds good. Yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> Big stadium is what I was thinking. Large stadium, crazy, crazy. You know, large amounts of people, huge energy. That's what I'm going for. The energy of the crowd, I think, is what would make this a very special concert. BTS for Square Garden too. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys, I'm going to give this point to Chris and you I know you guys are going to like this, but, but Chris had the most passion for, for his terrible concept. I mean, he wanted to go see a band that's not even playing their own music. Oh it's not God. even a concert. It really didn't And I think that made up for my passion that I would talk to <laughs> warmly about a band like Rush. 
I love how he just emphatically said, no, they're not going to play their own music. They're going to play Rush. And I wouldn't want them to play any other music. But I, I don't want to see Rush because they're imposters with their drummer that's not there anymore playing yeah. their own music. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, moving on. Uh, so we got sports. Is it history? I always forget. Sports. Which team has the worst retro reverse reverse retro? I think is actually what it's supposed to be. NHL jersey. So uh, you guys probably have to go look. To pull up the, the jerseys because I I, I, I I have it available, so we okay, can show the great. visuals. Yeah. So we can show the visual. Okay, so Jessica, Just you get to go Chris again. Might not know, and he's like, I can't argue it. I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> I like Ashley's comment. <laughs> Ashley Millard says, that's the best way to see Primus not doing their own music. <laughs> you guys wait. I'm going to invite you all. Is that a threat? Hey, who's, uh, who's first? This round? <laughs> Jessica, you are going first with the ver worst reverse retro. Dave will probably pull up the, the jersey. I will, yes. Um, um, okay. What was your choice? My choice was the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop, I'm, I'm stop your video for this uh, round, Jeff, so we can have the, okay, uh, the visual really easily. And... All right. There you go. That's fine. Just leave so, it uh, oh, Yeah. So I chose the Detroit Red Wings right there. I, I'm not... Uh, I did not... I'm not a hockey fan. I don't really watch hockey. Um, I kind of hear about it in passing. But, I mean, even I know what the Detroit Red Wings jerseys look like they're iconic the red and white the you know mostly i know it because of cameron from ferris bueller but i mean it's a really great jersey i you you, you see it and you know what it is and like this is just such a terrible version of it like why the gray stripes it looks sad uh, looks like a practice it, jersey a bit yeah yeah it's just i don't understand the color choice on the arms and, and these are supposed to be fun i can get from the rest of them especially going from like arizona's designs these are supposed to be fun designs going back to the 90s or i guess or whenever when the things were more colorful and this is just it's depressing like i even as if i was a diehard fan of the red wings i would not buy this i i would not want this in my closet like I wouldn't want to, this wouldn't hype me up to go to a game and wear, like, it's just awful. I don't know who designed it, but they weren't having fun with it, and I think it's definitely the worst uh, of the bunch. Okay. Uh, who's next, Jeff? Jamil. <laughs> um, my choice is the god-awful Anaheim Mighty Ducks, uh -huh. which seemingly inspired by the 90s cartoon decides to put one of the characters from the the cartoon on the jersey but with barely any type of backing or any type of presentation for you to be able to actually see what's on the jersey right you see a hockey stick and you see what looks to be possibly a bill but other than that the rest of the actual character is unviewable to anyone in the stands Watching on TV, it is an awful jersey. I, um, it it actually, you might as well just have nothing in the middle. That's that's basically what the design is. Yeah, nothing in the middle. It's what Wild Wing or whatever his name is jumping out of the water. That's also it ice. Makes no sense. <laughs> it is a terrible jersey. Okay, and then uh, and then Chris would be next, and then Chris, what's your pick? Okay, my pick was the uh, was the Vegas Golden Knights. If we can bring that one up. Yeah. Oh, do you have to bring up the with the gold helmets though? 
Look at the cool helmets. Okay, uh, this jersey's color scheme is horrible to start off. Let's go with uh, some red, some gray, some gold, and some black. Like, what was anybody thinking when they designed this jersey? Um, first of all, I think that logo on the front, it's like, uh, it's like two, two swords um, going through a, a starburst. Um, to be honest, like, if I was looking at this jersey, uh, someone wearing it on the street, I wouldn't be like, hey, you're a fan of the Vegas Golden Knights. I'd just be like, oh, what, what fucking kind of hockey team is that? Like, at least most of the other retro jerseys, when I see them, I, I like, I can be like, oh, that's the Detroit Red Wings. Or, oh, that's the Anaheim Ducks. Because the guy still, even the Ducks jersey, the guy still has his logo um, on, 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 on his chest. Um, but this, this Vegan... Like, should a team that's only been in the NHL for three years even have a retro jersey? <laughs> uh, color steam is just horrible. I'd never buy this. I, I, I don't. I, I think that they actually just stole that logo from their shoulder patch and blew it up. It is. It um, is their shoulder patch so logo. They, they blew it up and, and made it made it god awful colors. Um, so, to me, it doesn't it doesn't even scream Vegas. There's nothing about this jersey that tells me that's the Golden Knights. There's nothing that makes me want to buy this jersey or, or wear it. Okay. Okay. So they took the, they took their their shoulder patch logo and put it in front. Yeah. Their, their regular golden uh, their regular shoulder logo that's on their regular uniform that is recognizable and they put in the front, so you can see that if you're a fan, <laughs> they have the shoulder patch logo on the front. It's a horrible so, idea, though. How come they don't? How come they didn't put uh, the the you know the helmet logo on their shoulders? That that's a decision <laughs> that's, they made. That's a decision you know they made. But regardless, you're arguing. I, I don't know what this logo shoulders. comes from. Oh, they it did. They did put it. They did put it on their shoulders. They, they put the chest logo on their shoulders, which makes it look even more ridiculous because now you got gray on the shoulder. But at least it's different and it's colorful. And like, if I saw someone wearing that in the stands as a fan, like a sea of fans wearing that, I'd still be like, "Oh, look at the you know team pride. It's good. It's colorful. It's it's different. And it's something a collector might want to have because you know it's something that's different from their uh, usual jerseys." And I would argue against Jamil that okay, I also kind of had the same qualms about the jersey you chose, but then I looked into it and what the retro jersey was referencing, and it actually is really close to a '90s version of their. Uh, of their jerseys or an older version of their jerseys. So right. it, it does reference the past. And it's something I think like if you were a kid and you watched the and you didn't have the money to buy that jersey, you'd want to own right now because like it's it's it referencing something you remember from when so you were younger. I never said um, that it wasn't referencing the past or anything like that. I said that it's completely impractical <laughs> and unviewable in the stands and on television where majority or oh, sorry, where all the people right now are watching, right? Whereas but, your Detroit jersey, um, the logo is the bread and butter of the Red Wings and is completely viewable. In the old time jerseys in the past, it was extremely simple and it just had the logo. Majority of their merchandise is just a logo, just a logo on the shirts, just a logo on hats. That is Detroit Red Wings. The branding is that uh, the bird wing. 
But here's my argument. This whole thing is to just drum up money for the NHL. They're obviously hurting with not having no ticket sales, and they want people to buy jerseys that they don't have to get some money in. And nobody's going to buy this really boring version of a jersey, whereas someone, a collector, I could see them buying. It might not look good on the ice, the Anaheim one, one, but people will want to own that. I would want to own that if I was a fan. Uh, and maybe I would even want to own the Golden Knight ones. It's colorful. It's fun. This is boring. It's a horrible shirt. No one would want to own this. If you had a choice between the classic Red Wings one they now, the Red Red and white, that's what you would buy. You wouldn't buy this. I don't think anyone, they're not going to make any money off of this one. I would actually buy this. I, uh, I, would, I would totally buy that. That's that's a recognizable shirt. I look at that and that tells me that's Detroit Red Wings. But it's not an improvement in any way or, a, or an interesting take. I collect jerseys and I get all types of stupid jerseys it doesn't matter as long as the logo of the team that i'm representing uh, you're concerning the golden knights those are the team colors <laughs> bro it's the team colors right it's no, bold it's a bold shirt it's 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 got it's the team colors. It. the golden knight team colors are exactly that but instead of the piping being red red is being prominent it's a reversible retro jersey reversible that's the whole point. <laughs> it doesn't tell me anything about Golden Knights. I don't even think most fans There's know what Golden Knights The cross like. swords. <laughs> Man, I, I don't, and the star, like as in like a star of metal, because they're a knight. It's not a. It's a star burst. It's not even a, a, a nice looking star. It doesn't even have five tips. It's got four. Wait. Okay, Chris. <laughs> let me um, ask answer this question. Is there any medals that have four points? I don't know. Am I a metal expert? I think Medal of Honor. Or, yeah. I, I do think certain metal. The answer is yes. So it's metal <laughs> with swords crossing it, right? So therefore, it is. Isn't it? It's not, isn't it just like the sparks from like the Lance's meeting? That's like the knights. Like, like it's, is well, it supposed to be a like, star? Metal of Honor. I don't even know what it is. So the star is from the biggest sign. Like what we can like figure this one out. I don't know what thing. any jerseys are. So you, me saying I have no idea what their logo is supposed to be does not argue much. <laughs> the logo, the, the, retro, the logo of the the Anaheim Ducks is so small on the drawn character that it's basically like. Just yeah. like a, a little blip, like a, a pin, but, the tip of a pin. But they, but they went all out. They designed something new. They went with something interesting. You might not There's like the original design, but it's something. It's something different, and it's something that references a, a, a retro jersey. Whereas, yeah, yeah like uh, mine. On their sign, just... actually, it's quite smart. I never realized. That. Oh yeah, <laughs> Las Vegas. Star. Oh, see, that's even better. See, that's it's very clever now. Now it makes that makes it even better. The Anaheim one is incomplete because it's like. Are you going to fill out the rest so that we can actually see it? It's like <laughs> they start working on the like, we got to send it to the press as soon as possible. <laughs> it's like, don't the, worry, we'll make it the, a design choice. The but problem, it looks, it looks retro to me because it, it looks like a 90s cartoon, which I, it's, it meets the criteria of retro to me. Uh, the, prob the problem with Jamil's jersey is that it's a white jerseyed logo on a white jersey. So, yeah, it's going to look like shit when it comes to TV because it's white on white kind of like the Leafs, the, the Leafs had this white on white Jersey for one of their outdoor games. And it was the same thing. It was like awful to look that on TV. And that, it's that, also awful to watch the Leafs in general too. Well, that's not <laughs> this argues my point about the Detroit Red Wings one, because it's also white and just it's boring. It's boring. It's a really boring Jersey and they didn't have fun with it. 
The, um, yeah, the, there's two teams but, that didn't show up for the reverse retro party. It was the Detroit Red Wings and the New York Islanders. Both teams d- decided not to show up. Uh, regarding the Detroit Red Wings, their branding is that that like the bird wing, right? So that's all they they care about. That's it. Like, but the, you know, yeah, okay, but you're not arguing against the gray stripes. Why the gray stripes? Why the gray stripes it... is a reference to its um its earlier jerseys that did have gray stripes. Uh, yeah. I looked up their retro jerseys and they were much better than this. It's it's I mean it's supposed to be kind of referencing things, not replicating, and it, it it's it's not a bad choice. I'm sure they had much you're, better jerseys to go with. You're probably absolutely correct. Their their <laughs> other retro jerseys are actually better. But this doesn't make it the worst. Okay, Definitely. I, I got to say, I'm between Jessica and Jamil on this one. Well, and I'm going to and I'm gonna give them both a point. I, I, they, I think they both argued for theirs well. Chris, your, yours got knocked down, man. Like, I even learned why the star is that part of their logo. And the, you know, well, I just learned that right now, too. I never did. <laughs> <laughs> you research on your own thing that you're arguing. <laughs> I just didn't like the look of it, okay? I didn't have to research where it came. Oh, well, okay, um, Jeff, you might have to take away the point because you know if you just don't like the look of it, that's good enough for argument, I guess. I would have given it to Chris had the the shoulder patches not been on their their the, on the reverse retro, but they were, and then I was like, oh, okay, and then so that jersey's not that. Yeah, but bad you anymore. can't see the shoulder patches from the stands. Well, sure uh, no one's watching from the stands. They're watching from television. Yeah, and I know, yeah, yeah, nobody's watching from the stands except media. Okay, we're moving on to uh, history. Okay, a bit of a different one here, guys. Yeah, I went. I went for what is the most interesting event that happened on this day, February twenty eighth, in history. And so basically, you go on Google, you go what happened on this day, and uh, you, you know you pop it in and you figure out what happened. So I think who are we on? We're on Jamil going first. I think first on this one. It's All right, Jamil. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to talk to you. I have to, I have to be a little bit serious here. Um, on February 28th. Mm-hmm. Uh, what year? Uh, <laughs> now you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, let's say somewhere in 1949. Okay. Um, <laughs> was the beginning of the white terror. So um, what happened is um, it, it, it was triggered on the 27th of February. Uh, Taiwanese woman was um, was selling some contraband and was hit over the head. People started to protest, and uh, the um, uh, KMT uh, uh, started shooting into the crowd, and it kind of kicked off this um, 38 years of uh, martial law that happened in Taiwan. Um, it is... It, for its time, it was the longest period of martial law in, law in the world um, and a shining example of uh, a regime overstepping its bounds and kind of keeping a population um, under its boot. At the same time, um, you see uh, a strong uh, community rising against tyranny um, and trying to rebel against um, an opposing force that's overwhelming. And I'll, I'll go into my points when we're going into our debate, but white terror. Okay, white terror from Taiwan. Okay, Chris Seymour, what do you got for the most interesting event that happened on this day, February 28th? Okay, February 28th in uh, 1991, um, the Gulf War ended. Um, 
it's a very significant um, in in my time because this is honestly like this is the first real war that I kind of remember. I kind of remember seeing it on TV. I remember when it started. Um, consequently enough, it didn't it didn't start. It started on January um, January the fifteenth. So this is a war that only lasted for for forty three days. Um, it was a, a, a time when um, uh, Iraq um, and Iran, you know, they, they, they were having their own problems. Uh, Iraq was having uh, um, money problems uh, and decided, decided they were going to invade Kuwait because Kuwait was, was demanding money back from them. And what the, what the world decided at that time, maybe like 39 nations decided like uh, uh, on a new world order. You remember those words. There's going to be a new world order. Uh, and they decided that if, if Saddam didn't get out of Kuwait, they were going to go in there and remove those troops by any means necessary. And they did that. Um, they did it very well. Um, 15 days, I think it was six weeks, six weeks expired. Uh, Saddam was given six weeks to pull his troops out. Um, and the reason this was interesting is that on February 28th, this war ended, uh, George Bush called a ceasefire, but they did not get into Baghdad. They did not kill Saddam. They did not, uh, you know, uh, because at the time it was, it was looked upon as, okay, uh, we've at least got him out of Iraq. Um, he's pushed back. Um, sorry, time's up. <laughs> okay, time's up. Uh, that's enough Gulf War for now. Uh, Jessica, what do you got? <laughs> So I didn't realize this is the serious portion of the show. So oh, it doesn't I have to be. Apologized in advance. So I was looking at the questions phrasing, and it was like, "What's the most interesting event that happened? Mm. Not the most important event that happened on February 28th." Exactly. And my choice is very interesting. So we'll go with that <laughs> word. My husband discovered this for me. Thank you, Michael. Um, so February 28th, 2000, um, the writing room for WAF at the time just thought this would be a great event was that 76-year-old Mae Young, uh, who was having an affair, a kayfabe affair with sexual chocolate Mark Henry, the strongest man in the world, right. did a big splash uh, to help him out in a match and then went into labor. Uh, um, yeah, at 76 years old, and they wheeled her to the back uh, very urgently, and uh, subsequently she gave birth to a hand, a hand, like a, just a, a plastic hand on television and everybody thought in the writer's room this is a great idea and and it ended up on tv um and I, yeah i don't know what else to say about that but it is very interesting that that happened <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking of was uh, i was i i don't even know how you found out about that what my is big wrestling news dude what do you google to figure this out february 28th what happened what happened? Yeah, it could be yeah. anything. It didn't need to be the most serious thing. May Young gives birth to hand to a hand to hand, and 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 at the end of the day, everyone in the room claps and says, "Let's give May a hand." And that was the end of the skit. Guys, I think we all learned something here. We learned that the 1991 Gulf War was like a month long. We learned I didn't even really know about the Taiwan White Terror stuff. Uh, it, I've never studied it, uh, and uh, yeah, of course, May Young gives birth to a hand. <laughs> So, I mean, we, we all learned something. Live. I know that. I remember that. I remember that one, too. That's the only one I watched live as well. <laughs> Jessica, you get the point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll argue it. Um, Chris, do you have anything to argue towards the uh, for the Gulf War? Uh, you know what? I, I just think it's it's very interesting 
that they decided not to uh, kill Saddam. And the reason they didn't do this, because uh, the, the British Prime Minister at the time, uh, Mr. John Major, was just literally uh, like a year after, after Margaret Thatcher left, he basically said, like, if, if we're going in there to stop war crimes, um, I'm paraphrasing him because I don't know his exact words, but if we're going in there to stop war crimes and we literally go in there and commit more crimes, we're just going to cause chaos. So that's when they decided not to kill Saddam, not to, not to rush into Baghdad, and George Bush just called a ceasefire and it ended that day. Uh, and I think it's very interesting because if they had gone in and killed Saddam, the whole future would have changed, the whole future of the Middle East. And as, I don't know what I can say, Jessica. I've never, I, I didn't. I just, <laughs> you, should, point, you should Google it. You I, should I Google it. That entire point um, that if they killed Saddam, the whole, um, the whole future would have changed. If we did anything the differently, of the whole world would have changed. If Mae Young mm. didn't give birth to a hand, then we don't know what the lasting effect. I, I, Mark Henry could have been champion and uh -huh. been where The Rock was. <laughs> yeah. We don't know. So yeah. saying so that something would result in a different history, that's that 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 revolves around anything and everything. That's if true. I didn't if I didn't take out the garbage like I was supposed to, like I did. <laughs> previously then who knows what butterfly effect that would have had it might not have affected yeah. my life so much who um, says as that <laughs> I, I, I i can't argue against both our significant events significant important events you brought up especially the taiwanese one especially with what's going on with taiwan and chinese relations right now it's mm -hmm. very very significant very important part of history is it more interesting than a 76 year old woman giving birth to a gooey hand while smoking a cigar on tv I don't think so. <laughs> well, I'm just there's more. There's more. Um, thousand, hundred thousand Taiwanese were imprisoned during this period, and over three to four thousand um, were subsequently killed. Not even like protesters, just individuals who might have been in the area were also murdered by um, the rise of the um, the ruling Chinese mainland um, KMT party. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, very significant and very sad history. I think everyone should learn about, especially to understand what's going on right now in the world and uh, the relations that happen there. But very important, very important. Very, but as interesting as a gooey hand coming out of a woman's vagina on on TV. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that is um, interesting at all because I would never Google gooey hand coming out of vagina. I would never. <laughs> Hold on a second. Sorry. Dave, can you fact check that? Can you uh, commandeer Chris's um, <laughs> history to see if those terms have ever. I'll wait Are you, for ca you came out hard against that. I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you I, don't I protest too much. Sort of, I don't know. He looks at other porns. So <laughs> Chris, can you, can you legitimately say that those terms will not come up in your Google search? It will not. You know what? It's it's weird. <laughs> I'm Google search because sometimes you're typing something in Google and it fills in the, the rest for you. Even you think I've never I've never looked for that before. What combination of gooey hand coming out of vagina would it auto auto correct to? Can you please can you please give me that scenario? <laughs> It's also worth knowing Mae Young was like 80 years old when yeah, it was like 78. Yeah, days. 70, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And when they asked her during delivery, when was her last period? She said 1957. So 
<laughs> I guess it was immaculate conception of a hand, which is even more interesting, I think. Sexual chocolate, you know. Yeah, he just walks into a room and things happen. Um, can I just can I just say quickly? Also, February twenty eighth uh, every year, last day of February every year is uh, Rare Disease Day, so um, it brings recognition to rare diseases. Um, like my daughter, she has Duke fifteen Q syndrome, so uh, it's a really good cause, and you should look it up. And uh, yeah, February twenty eighth or February 29th, whichever is the last day of February every year is Rare Disease Day, and definitely uh, look into it. I'm this... cheering not because of the disease, but the recognition of the day. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> And it is the last day of February this year. This is not a leap year. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go. This point's pretty uh, pretty obvious to me. Jessica's going to win this point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Thank of course you, it wasn't the most important, the most influential, the most butterfly effect. It was the most, most interesting. interesting. <laughs> I, I, you could have picked the birth of, uh, you know, of anything or <laughs> the death of anybody or anything. You know, I have but, to agree uh, with that. Okay. We are moving on to the wild card. Wild card round. Okay, this is kind of a cool one. Who do you consider to be the best YouTuber out there currently? Um, 19, uh, all right, Chris Seymour. What um, do you do? You know who I chose? I chose, um, I don't know if you guys ever watch his video. Guy named Nat, he's an, he's an Australian comedian. Um, he, he does this YouTube, um, YouTube show called Nat's What I Reckon. Uh, I've just started watching it in the past year. Um, and it's really fascinating to me because... This guy is uh, not not your typical guy that you would think of as a chef. He's got long hair. He's got a pierced lip. Um, but ever since the start of the pandemic, he's been inspiring me to cook things. And not that I've ever really wanted to to be a great chef in the past, but this guy will make it seem so simple. And and it just uh, some of the words that come out of his mouth just make me laugh. Right? He'll be he'll be frying some bacon on the stove, for example. And it'll be like, uh, you know, cook the bacon until it's fucking cooked. And it's just little things like that that it, it makes cooking look easy. Like there was, a, there was a, a show on about carbonara probably about two months ago um, where he actually like, uh, he was saying like, fuck jar sauce. Don't use jar sauce. It's a piece of garbage. And he'd swat it off the table with a baseball bat. And then he'd crack out like some eggs and some Parmesan cheese and, and uh, legit show you how to make it all saying kind of funny things at the same time and then his videos are very hilarious just watch it and you'll know what i'm talking about okay step for now there you go uh, there he's making the chicken in this one and he's like all you want to fucking try and do is try and put this fucking thing in here yeah. <laughs> so he talks <laughs> he, kind, he kind of talks like that but his his recipes are sincere and and they're, they're actually decent and and you can really learn something. Okay, there he is. How do I bring you guys back? Sincere uh, recipes. <laughs> no. well, like he's okay. He's a comedian, but he doesn't he doesn't make funny recipes. He actually makes good food while being funny while doing it. Chris, have you um tasted his food? <laughs> I've made his food, so I've not tasted food that he's actually made, but I've copied his recipes and tried it, and they're delicious. Good I actually did make the chicken, and I made the carbonara one day. Good rebuttal. I will give you points for that. Okay. Uh, I think time's up. We'll move over to Jessica. Jessica, you pick somebody that uh, I actually watch his channel. So yeah. can you tell us 
uh, uh, who you so picked? My YouTuber of choice is Stephen Andrew Thomas or Steve 1989 MRA Info. He's a landscaper from Florida, I think. And what he does is he uh, he acquires and opens and sometimes eats uh, like MREs from currently, but also the past and the long past. Um, He's just great to listen to. I don't really know. Like, he's very calming. Uh, some people call him, like, the Bob Ross of, like, MREs. He's just, it's very uh, zen to watch him. He's also just, uh, he's, he's really interesting. He, he's got catchphrases. Uh, let's get this out onto a tray. Uh, nice hiss. Uh, and you just get to see kind of history living on screen, which is fascinating. Like, I mean, you see history in a museum, but how often do you get to see it like opened and sampled? Um, he's he's eaten uh, hardtack from the Civil War, uh, candies from uh, an emergency pilot's ration, like really interesting stuff, stuff he probably shouldn't eat. I'm surprised he's not dead yet. Um, he often apologizes for opening something like moldy ham from the Vietnam War. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not gonna eat that. <laughs> like we expected him to but sometimes he really shouldn't and he still eats it anyway uh and then he goes oh yeah that's bad that's that's terrible let me let me have another bite just to test how bad that is <laughs> it's a fascinating experience you wouldn't think you would enjoy 20 minutes of a guy opening a really really old mre ration but uh it is very enjoyable yeah like uh, i watched one where he opened one from world war one and he was like cooking it up and he's like uh, and he had some chocolate and he was like it's Chocolate's still pretty good. <laughs> it's like, no. it's like 100 I, years old. Over 100 years old. And he smokes the cigarettes from the ration packs, too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, uh, he's an interesting cat, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Jamil, who did you pick for you? Uh, who do you think is the best YouTuber currently? I picked the collective referred to as CDZA, which is the collective, collect, short for collective cadenza. Um, it is a, a group of classically trained um, musicians who have come together to um, uh, promote music, um, connect pop culture to classical music and music theory. Um, they raise money for local schools and trying to promote um, the um, music in general. Um, they create music videos that are... Uh, like um, they feature music in various ways in terms of like uh, right. Like I'm watching one here, Jamil, where they did the history of wooing men. Yes. So uh, they they will they would show like music history and kind of have fun with it. So like as you point out, the the history of wooing men, the history of wooing women, and you can see the 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 changes in terms of the styles and and also the vulgarity that has changed in recent times. In addition, you'll have like um. Uh, they'll do fun things like uh, the Fresh Prince, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme song, but translated into different languages and then translated back into English and how translation programs don't necessarily give an accurate statement that makes sense. And they would they did it like a million times where they like went through every single language and then went back to English and see how that went. Uh, they do live performances where they will have tip jars and um, they will play music based upon what people put money into. Um, I'll go on when we get into the debating portion about it. Okay, uh, I think you guys can debate now. Why? Well, I, don't want to, I don't know about Jessica's. Why would I want to watch some guy um, eat eat dis disgusting stuff? That's like eating a hot wing contest. I don't want to see people eat hot wings. I don't want to it's, see. It's not disgusting. It's it's living. It's history. Jessica, because. 
people do like to watch that stuff. Oh, yeah. I watch it. It's like, you don't want to see Google history again. Wings. If you want well, to search Hot Wings is one of the highest touted um, um, series on YouTube. So that's it's, a it's not it's favorite. not just gross stuff it's it's also the packaging like you get to see what like a pilot in in world war ii is given as an emergency mm -hmm. ration like or or just like what what people were eating during the wars or so during like so more times it's very it's, important jessica is what you're saying uh, yes <laughs> yes just like mine which talks yeah. about the history of music and various instruments as well but I would argue yours I, I, is a YouTubers as a collective group. And the question is, who do you consider to be the best YouTuber? Singular. And my guy is a singular channel and he runs it by himself uh, with no help. Whereas yours is a collective. Uh, uh, so a plural. It's one channel. <coughs> but it doesn't say YouTube channel. It says YouTuber. Singular. YouTuber. Oh, yeah, they were just not get any feedback from the the host that my <laughs> my, my answer was invalid so no, cda said as a collective is to my knowledge is um is valid so you can unless pick that the, it's the channel you pick the channel i'm just i'm i'm okay, just saying thank you. Um, that point is mute chris I'm... anything against my my channel ah uh, again i haven't i haven't watched it but it sounds like it could get repetitive um and I don't know why. They, why? Why do your YouTubers need tip jars? Like, why? Why can't? Why can't they be good enough to make that's money a off? Very good question. That's what Patreon is, though. Dude. <laughs> the reason for that is it wasn't for them because there are they are they are not a for-profit organization. They're an organization right. that t raises right. money for at-risk use for music programs in the New York area. So, so. that tip jar is one promoting a music because they get to see which one people are willing to spend more money on to perform. They literally have um, uh, a setup in the streets of New York where, uh, uh, was it a well, bass player and a violinist, a bass player and a violinist will play whatever you put money into. So there was Michael Jackson, there was Bach, there was also um, um, Jurassic Park, right, as well. And people put more money into Bach than anything else. Right. Well, the classical musicians. Do you want to see a classical musician play Michael Jackson? No. You yes, want to see him play rock? It's awesome. I, I like the, the the guy who wanted to see an entire cover band of another band is arguing against a classical musician playing yeah. <laughs> modern song. <laughs> Isn't like um this classical music channel kind of the same thing as that like thing you watch, Dave? The jukebox, postmodern jukebox. Point. Alan, who's part of the collective, um. Um, joined um, uh, Scott Bradley and the um, uh, Postmodern Jukebox. I met them in person when they did their first tour in Toronto and I specifically said the reason why I connected with Postmodern Jukebox was because of Alan the drummer. Thank you. Great point. Thank uh, you. That drummer like stares into your soul in every video. He's, he's really good. Oh, I, 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 would, uh, I would... My, my, my show is the only one that you can actually watch and gain something out of it. It's actually useful. No, knowledge is something gained. You can't disagree with knowledge. knowledge. Any knowledge you gain. And I would you argue, I don't know about your chef guy, but I would just say that I don't like anyone who shames people for using pre done ingredients like people don't have time sometimes like if you're saying oh don't use jar sauce it's garbage you know what like some people 
like moms no, like well, me. We don't have time. We don't have time. Yeah, but there's a yeah, there's a way to teach without there's a way to teach without shaming is what I'm saying. I haven't did a point against your group. I think that although it is interesting, I think that that um the format is better suited for television, like the History Channel, whereas mine in bite-sized pieces are more digestible, and you get their fun, you get your knowledge, and you're able to walk away. Oh, mine is amazing for YouTube. Sometimes it's a five-minute show. Sometimes it's 10 minutes. It, it, There's a lot of content like that, though. There's a lot of, like, you can get a lot of chefs and stuff uh, and that are funny and interesting and stuff. And my, my guy's really interesting, and there's stuff you'd never see anywhere else. Uh, like, uh, it's just, and it's very zen. You don't even need to be into military history to enjoy it. I'm not into military history. I hate war movies, personally. I, I never watch them, but, like, I find this stuff really fascinating because he's it's the presentation. He is a very uh, soothing... <laughs> It's a soothing experience to watch. It's great to watch before bed. I just, uh, it's, it's, it's really fun. Um, I would say that uh, Jamil's channel sounds really interesting. I'm going to check it out, but uh, I would say it's probably not something that I would uh, like. Uh, I'm not into that all the time. And some people it's like, it's a, a, a interest that I guess is not everybody would be interested in learning. Whereas I think mine would be entertaining for everybody, even I if think, you're not interested I, in it. <laughs> I think which, which channel has, the, which channel has the most subscribers? Mm. Oh, you know, I didn't know about that. Can, can you tell us, Jeff? Have you looked into this? I, I, I looked it up. But, I, but I already you... looked it up. Actually, the answer is Jessica's channel has the most subscribers yes. and by a lot. She I has one subscribers right now. I'm so just saying, uh, she has 1.8 million subscribers uh, for her argument. Uh, CDZA only had 279,000. And uh, what I reckon only has 330,000. So actually CDZA or whatever is actually the lowest. But that doesn't mean they have... Influence is not felt because they right. have been um, in Entertainment Weekly, on CNN. Google has specifically right. used them for various events due to their talents. The, um, the group, the collective goes around the world and tours and promotes their same aspects. So even though the YouTube channel currently isn't active, um, their influence is still ongoing. No one has more views of a video, though, than your channel, Jamil. So that is also true. So the mo people don't want to subscribe to your channel, but they want to watch it over and over <laughs> and over. Because they're currently not active. That's because some people aren't in the in the in the mood to learn. Like sometimes, like yeah, you have like the the Fresh Prince one. I think is people are funny and it's entertaining. But the other stuff about music theory it does require some form of like active learning, which I think not everybody's always in the mood for. I'm not. Whereas my channel is like history based, but you don't. It's kind of passive learning. You don't actually my, have to engage channel, your brain I mean, watching it. Can be entertaining and can teach you things at the same time. But also somewhat shamey, just a little bit shamey, I guess shamey. is what I'm saying. <laughs> Your example that he shames people for using pre-made jarred items. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to make my decision. I'm going to give this one to Jamil. Uh, I, think, I think he argued the best for his, for his panel. His Bye, guys. <laughs> I, I I was trying, Chris. Man, you gotta argue harder. You gotta come back at them. You gotta say no. You're wrong. This guy's yeah. off. So, Chris, I I was trying to cut you up from the legs. I looked at the score and I'm like, <laughs> I have to make sure Chris can't make any foot. <laughs> oh. We got we got a three three here. We're going into the the speed round. Oh no. Oh. All my notes are good. Time for the okay. speed. So uh, we are running at just a uh, we are running somewhat behind. Um, not that we have anywhere to go, I guess, but. Um, 
it's just you know like so we're gonna do 30 seconds for opening arguments each on the speed round and then jeff if you can try to make a decision within a minute or so <sighs> okay i'll try and do that okay okay it goes really quickly i'm gonna chris fail, off, I'm gonna we'll, fail we'll, so we'll hard chris off screen but he can he can still be heard um and he can, can we get out of the vertical land yes yeah, right all right <sighs> Okay, so all right, so kind of works the same here, Jessica. So basically, ask a question. You, uh, whoever answers first gets that answer, but you, it gives you a couple seconds to kind of come up with a rebuttal answer. Uh, whoever answered first has to kind of argue for thirty seconds. Then the other person goes, and then you kind of, I'll make a decision. Okay. Uh, does that make sense? Yes, I guess so. Okay, so movie. Who is the worst Star Trek villain in a movie? Oh my god. Uh... There's not a lot of choices. Um, if only you knew anything about Star Trek. Um, <laughs> shoot, I don't know. All right, pick, pick the movie. You can pick, I'll tell you the guy's name. Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> okay, Insurrection. so Insurrection. So we got Ruafu. Versus uh, Shinzo, Shinzon, Shinzon. Okay. Okay. Which uh, who? Jessica picked Shinzon and uh, Jamil picked Ruafu. Can we get a Ruafu sound drop at some point? Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, we can. I just have to find it. One moment. God, which one was Insurrection? <laughs> insurrection. <laughs> that that one's Insurrection. That's okay. Ruafu. Murray Abrams, where it's the uh, the plot, the plague, and the... Is that the one where they get younger? In Graft, yeah. Okay, that guy, I remember being kind of funny. Like, he had, like, a funny villain thing going. Whereas, I don't even remember the guy from Star Trek Nemesis. I just remember that movie is garbage. It's Tom Hardy Hardy's pretending Hardy. to be Jean-Luc Picard. Was that? Yeah, that was the one with Data gets yeah. off, right? Yeah, that movie was just really bad. It's like, as a whole. So, I can't imagine his performance was any good. I don't remember it, but it was probably bad. Who's, who's first, Jeff? Jessica actually was supposed to be going first, so she's, you know, you can finish it in the next 20 seconds or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my argument. I think yeah. it was a forgettable movie. A forgettable plot was horrible. I do vaguely remember his, like, really weird, like, plasticky Picard look. I, I don't really remember what, I just remember that all along it was, like, a really bad film, and it was such a sad end to the TNG, like, film franchise. I was super disappointed, so... I, I, I'm, I'm collectively as a whole, that movie was disappointing to me. So I imagine the villain performance was also. <laughs> Don't remember. <laughs> okay, Jamil. Wafu, the great Wafu. Wafu was, as Jessica um, pointed out, was um, there and had comic relief. Um, there was no sense that he was an actual threat at all, whereas Tom Hardy's um, Shinzo at least had a menacing um, you know, attitude and feeling and was presented as a threat. So he was more of a villain. He had a connection to the characters of the movie, especially Jean-Luc Picard, because it was clone, uh, whereas uh, the other dude was just some random dude that they just had to beat, and it was a lame movie. Okay. Any questions, Jeff? No, I'm going to give that one to Jamil. I think Jamil came a little bit harder with why Ruafu kind of sucked. Like, uh, I literally can't think of a single thing of him except how he looked. With the pulled back skin, right? That was yes. him, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember Terrible. that. Uh, that whole thing. Uh, okay, TV. What is the best animated TV show of all time? You got to pick quick. Uh, well, you don't have to, but... <laughs> 
He's like, hurry up because of the time. Oh, uh, Steven Universe. That's my choice. Okay. Uh, I'll take Cowboy Bebop. Wow, okay. Oh Not what I expected at all. Uh, <laughs> Jessica, go ahead. Uh, Steven Universe is just like a lovely show. Uh, I, I just think it's very sweet. It's really great for kids. It has a lot of messaging in it, but like not beat you over the head messaging. Like it's not like after school specialty in any way. Um, it has really good, uh, like unique for a animated feature like show, uh, show. I feel like it actually progresses. It moves forward. Like they don't keep their characters stuck in one point in time forever and ever and ever and ever. They actually move forward. They grow um, each and every season. And uh, it's just a lovely show and really sweet. And one I'd hope to share with my kids someday. All right, Jamil. Um, Cowboy Bebop is the standard at which um, an entire uh, genre of animated shows are uh, have to live up to, um, from its animation, um, its um, voice acting, both in English and in Japanese, its music, and it's also very tight narrative um, that has um, a finite beginning and a finite end. Um, uh, Steven Universe is... Um, um, only for one kind of demographic. No, Cowboy Bebop isn't. Come on, that is such a niche market. Come on, Steven Universe should be for everybody. If it's a niche market, that is a society problem and not a Steven Universe problem. I think it should be enjoyed by everyone. And the music is also excellent on on Steven Universe. The soundtrack is great. I listen to it on my Spotify playlist. Like, there's really beautiful music, and it has a message. It has a point. Like, it it really is. It it can be for all ages. I enjoyed it as an adult. I think kids enjoy it. They feel seen through the show. Um, it's just a it's a beautiful show, and uh, it's it's great. It's very enjoyable while also having um, a very teachable moments and it's it's a very sweet show with great progress um i feel that steven universe um messaging is is presented more important than the actual narrative whereas cowboy bebop is more focused on its narrative i also listen to cowboy bebop's music um it is uh, universally put in well regard and performed throughout the world in various concerts um, covered by a multitude of other musicians as well. Um, I feel that one, uh, the narrative is the ultimate thing that's more important, um, regardless of what the messaging may be. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Jessica on this one. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm arguing against things that I believe. Right. <laughs> kind of like, like you did with the Red Wings jersey, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would never buy that jersey. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would buy jersey. I would. It's got no red. Uh, it's a practice jersey. Red wings. That's a the practice jersey. Should have red. Uh, okay, moving on but to. It <laughs> it's a uh, four-four tie. Uh, moving on to music. Okay, oh so for, for listening to music, which uh, vinyl or digital? Which vinyl. is better? Vinyl. Okay, you got to argue wow. digital there, but Jamil has to go first, Jessica. <sighs> yeah. uh, uh, vinyl, vinyl is um, the ultimate uh, presentation of music. Uh, not only does it present the music as something that needs to be cherished in a physical way, um, you will um, consistently own the rights to that physical item. Um, it also presents the the liner notes, the actual presentation of what the band wants to display and to uh, merge with its music um, to its listener. 
Uh, I would argue digital is better for accessibility. I mean, not everybody has the money or the time to collect vinyl. Uh, something you like might not be available on vinyl. You might not be able to afford a record setup. They're not cheap. Um, digital is accessible to everyone. And even if you can't afford to buy it legally, you can find it somewhere online. And, and that's, I mean, as you argued in your previous thing about that music channel, music is, is something that everyone should enjoy. I mean, music theory, it's all very important. And I think everyone should have access to it. And that's what digital provides people is access. And that's the most important thing. Having access to digital music is also a difficulty as well, whereas one could buy a $30 uh, turntable to play a vinyl record to be able to listen to a digital audio file. They either need a computer, a phone, um, an MP3 player, and those range from anywhere from $50 to um, a computer cell, which is uh, $1,000, plus the, the headphones as well. You could access a lot of digital music through the library uh, through free. Uh, Overdrive has, uh, I think, uh, music available that you can get. So, and you could go to the library to listen to it. So, there are options to get it for free. Um, uh, just listening to it in the library, uh, uh, listening to it. Um, yeah, so the, you can get uh, access to digital music without paying anything for it, really, um, if you have access to a library, which most people hopefully do. Hmm. Okay, I'm going to go with Jessica on this one. I didn't think I was going to. Library. <laughs> you know, I got a vinyl record player right back here. And, uh, I, I also I also do have vinyl, <laughs> and I very much enjoy collecting it. So it's <laughs> a hard position. But it, I agree with the accessibility because it, yeah, every time I buy a record, I go, well, I better really want this record. <laughs> you know, like, because, because you know, oh, I'm not going to buy a record I don't want to listen to, you know. I feel that a lot of people... Okay, Dave's ringing the bell. He's getting over. Sorry, uh, I thought you were. Oh my god! Which baseball team has the best hat? New York Yankees. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna say the Blue Jays because that's the only one that I know. Oh, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Why the Yanks? Uh, New York Yankees is a universally um, known. It is a classic symbol. Um, that even represents New York and America itself. It's greater than just the brand of the team. Um, it, it, it ties in the fact that it is America's team, the New York Yankees. It's simple. It, um, it automatically pops. It's automatically recognizable. Um, and, um, and it's universally known and loved. Hey, Jessica, why did we do Blue Jays, it's a fun hat. It's like, uh, I own quite a few. My husband owns actually quite a few and I just steal them. But they're like the blue and white, the the blue jay on the front. It's uh, it's colorful, it's fun to wear, even if you're not a fan. Um, it, it's mostly kind of stayed the same. I guess they had, I don't know, they go back and forth between the new and the modern one, but both of them are pretty good. I, I just think it's a fun hat. It's good to wear. I, I, would, I would wear it uh, even if I'm not a fan. And doesn't everybody hate the Yankees? Is that not a thing? That is a thing. <laughs> But except Yankee fans. Okay. The interesting fact about people hating the Yankees, there are people that hate the Yankees. There's also uh, people that um, also love the Yankees and um, its influence and um, the care for is worldwide. You can go to another country and see people wearing a New York Yankee hat. You won't see go to, let's say, um, uh, some random European city and see someone wearing a Blue Jays hat. You might. 
if there's a Canadian there. Well, there's a connection there because I think I've seen people when I was traveling wearing Blue Jays hats, and and I got really excited. Actually, oh, hey, no, I actually, you know what? Oh, never mind. That's not a hat story. That's a T-shirt story. Well, that, never mind. Uh, yeah, but you can you get a connection with someone if you see a fellow Canadian or a fellow fan wearing it. Strikes up a it's a conversation starter, whereas you wouldn't necessarily strike up a conversation with someone wearing a wearing a Yankees hat because like yeah, they're everywhere. So it, it, our, my hat brings connection. A connection, Canadian connection. Jamil, you have a counter for the connection argument. Um, if I saw someone in 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 Africa wearing a Yankees hat, I would at least automatically have a conversational starter. They would know at least something about the Yankees. That's how much they're well regarded and loved. Even if they're hated, they're recognized, and it's a conversational starter as well. People will be able to say something about Jeter or uh, R Rivera. Um, I don't think anyone would know a Blue Jays player. Well, the, like they would know our 90s Blue Jays for sure. And our team is like the underdog team, which is kind of more fun to root for than the Yankees. So that's my argument against that. Okay. This is a tough one, guys. You guys made this one tough on me. Um, I'm going to go with the Yankees on this one. I, th I think the Yankees had... I was kind of hoping for a little bit more uh, uniform aesthetic arguments. Uh, Jessica did hit that a bit, but uh, the overall Yankee hat is the iconic baseball hat. So good pick. Going to the fire, Jessica. Fair, fair. Um, <laughs> what? All right. So the... what are we on here? Is this um, history? Here we go. History. Oh, I don't know what, I, I don't know what I picked. Oh, history with March around the corner. Pick one influential historical event that happened in March in your lifetime. <laughs> I know it's not hard. This one is not an easy question. Facebook and go your past history. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like in your life, something that happened in March, anywhere in the world, anywhere in time, anywhere you can pick anything. You're like the go, like uh, uh, the, the second Iraq war happened. happened in March. You know, in 2003. Uh, March 2020, uh, pandemic lockdown in Canada started. Good pick. Uh, yes, that's what I was kind of going with as well. <laughs> go ahead, argument. I have to think. About <laughs> I'm so glad I got to that first. Thank God. I have nothing. <laughs> I was born in 83 of March. Uh, 19, you know, there, uh, there you go. I was a pretty significant. <laughs> that was another one. You know? my, my, my daughter is also born March 6th. But... So that, that's pretty important. Oh, hello, Pisces. Yeah. <laughs> you you got to debate it. You got 20 seconds. Oh, am I, okay. I'm supposed to go without Jamil picking? Yeah, go, yeah you should. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think this is this is a recent event, but it's definitely historic. I think people will remember. I mean, I certainly uh, remember like my daughter's birthday party was kind of like the last big event where I saw my friends. And then after that, like I think mid or end of March, uh, lockdown happened and uh, we're still in it now. And I think it's something that people will remember for like decades to come. It's such a uh, it's such an imposition on our life. It's changed basically our whole worldview, basically, and how we see things. And uh, I will continue to do so, I think, for a long time. Okay, Jamila, have you have you thought of one? Yeah, March is a terrible one for me. Um, um, uh, celebrated my mom's um, birthday. Uh, I like my mom a lot. She's awesome. Right. She likes me too. She gave birth to me not um, in March in my lifetime. Right. Um, but that was later on. But well, that was your was lifetime when you were born. She was pregnant with me during right. March during her birthday. Um, she's a good person. She, I, I'm pretty sure she would like you, Jeff, and also Jessica. Uh, <laughs> she is a teacher, and uh, 
she works with special needs, um, you know, individuals. So that means she's a good person. And um, uh, she gave birth to me. So po uh, double points for that. <laughs> That's my argument. All right. Rebuttal. I'm just gonna give it to Jamil. Uh, I don't I, uh, care. I'm not gonna rebut that. Uh, March, <laughs> March. I didn't know that was an option, or I would have picked my daughter. But good job, Jamil. Could have been mom versus daughter. Could have been a I'm hard battle. It's it said historical, which is relevant to my history, but it was I guess not an I was easy question. Global, but uh, I was trying to relate it to the the first ha question. Happy early birthday to your mom, Jamil. I, yeah. I will pass it along. March is coming up. It's almost the end of February. And happy <laughs> early birthday to my daughter because she's. It my is not daughter. almost. It is the end of February. Love well, so not much. 12 more hours, Dave. Uh, okay, wild card. Okay, this is the last question. What is the most artistic album cover? Um, artistic. <laughs> oh, no. <sighs> we lost Chris. I would, I would pick Floyd, that. Dark Side of the Moon. Okay, good pick. Uh, the uh, I could... Nirvana okay. baby one. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. Yeah, you you could have waited until I did my 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 statement. What, oh, okay. what did Justin say? Sorry, just so I know. Never mind by Nirvana. Never mind by Nirvana. Okay. Um. So Dark Side of the Moon is um, a classical, uh, very influential album cover. Uh, it features um, <laughs> Chris is terrible. <laughs> Chris is great. Um, <laughs> back. <laughs> Choose light going into a prism that creates a rainbow. Uh, you can put them there. I'm just joking. No, it's okay. Uh, I just, uh... It's it's there to signify uh, uh, to uh, to signify um, the the artistic's uh, presentation of self into the prism, and the music um, presents a variety of different colors, different songs um, that is being presented in the album. Okay. Jessica, why is Nevermind the most artistic album cover? It's memorable. It's art iconic, I guess. The baby in the water chasing the dollar bill. Like, I think everyone's seen it or everyone would recognize it. Um, it's unusual. Uh, it's an unusual choice for a grunge album. I have a swimming baby. Uh, so definitely a unique choice, I would guess. And uh, yeah, just very memorable. I, I remember it. Uh, it's, I don't really remember very many album covers, but that one I do. Okay, Jamil, anything um, else or memorable doesn't necessarily um, um, indicate artistic merit. Um, I find that Dark Side of the Moon um, um, album cover does. Okay, uh, I think I have to give this one to Jamil, and Jamil is our winner. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Got it again. He's back. Come Never back mind. Was better because you could have said that the baby was reaching for the money from the womb. I had I honestly <laughs> don't know much. I know Nirvana songs, but I couldn't think of one that would relate to what the cavern was supposed to be. So the moment you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's such a better answer. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, Chris, what would you have picked for the most artistic album cover? Primus. No, I have a for destruction. Guns and Roses. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Come on, cross with what I said about um, Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink, Pink Floyd was a good album cover. I mean, Prism with rainbows Rainbow. going through it. Yeah. I don't know. Very 70s. Yeah. yeah. I hope that's what the artistic uh, meaning was. I just <laughs> <laughs> assumed. At least you had something. I couldn't. I was like, artistic 
a bet of baby chasing money. I guess, I don't know, capitalism, something, something. Uh, I don't know. We need Jamil's uh, victory music. Congratulations, Jamil. Welcome Yay. to Trivial Woo. Debates. That was okay. very tough. Very we tough. will we will be having our fiftieth episode next month, the end of March. Oh, I don't. I, I have no idea who's hosting. It won't be me because uh, I did this one. But if any volunteers, let me know. Um, but uh, Jessica yeah, we'll host. Be... Jessica host. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll talk offline. Went you back, Jessica. You were great. Oh, Has Chris you. ever? It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was good. Uh, all right, so I think that's it for all of us here at Trivial Debates. Plug our other stuff. Plug our other. We need to plug our other stuff for all of us here at Trivial Debates. We have uh, lots of things going on on Live Long and Podcast. We also have lots of things going on uh, a Super Mater Bros podcasting. We uh, Jamil and Dave are covering uh, Big Brother Canada over on Live Long and Podcast. We have Deep Six Nine recaps, original series recaps. You got the Deep Six Nine on Tuesday. You got the original series on Wednesday. We, we're covering all sorts of Star different Trek things. Radio we got Theater. oh, we got Star Trek Radio Theater. We just uh, did an episode last night. Go check that out. We did uh, Voyager episode Timeless. That was fun. We had uh, a Living new cast Witness member. Oh, Living Witness. Oh no, there is an episode though called Timeless. Yeah, but yes. we haven't done it. No, that's true. Okay. But I always mix those episodes up. Um, um, don't forget uh, Dave's appearance on Diary of Doom. What Defenders that? of the Cake? Oh, sorry, Defenders of the Cake. Sorry. I don't know so what that is. Podcast too. Oh. This past week, so. um, Jessica, what podcasts are you on? Oh, I I have um I have a Buffy podcast called Slayer Talk that I am on currently. We're rewatching Buffy from season one. We just uh, did a recap of season one, and we're about to do the unaired pilot and the uh, Buffy movie, the nineteen ninety two Buffy movie. Is our next episode. So. You should talk to Jane about that. She's a big Buffy fan. She come oh. on the show. Josh Whedon, <laughs> all the way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's an awkward time to have a Buffy podcast, unfortunately. But whatever, the show still is good, even if the creator is, mm. you know, doing his thing. Um, okay, <laughs> uh, so that's it. Let's break it out with some funk town music, and we'll see you next time in a month from now for the fifteenth episode of Trivial Debate. Oh, thank you.